Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. Happy October, everyone. This is my favorite month of the year, which is due in large part to the vibrancy of our temperate forests in transition at this time. Fall colors and the forests are finally free of bugs. But this episode is not about the forest in autumn. I'm just excited. October happens to also be special because the calendar lines up just so that I can release three episodes this month instead of my normal two. This also happened in May when I did my second fruit tree mini-series, so now I'm taking advantage of the timing to embark on a second nut tree mini-series. My first nut tree mini-series released back in August and September of 2022 when I covered the trees that give us almonds, walnuts, and pecans. It was a tough call limiting myself to just three, but now I have the chance to revisit the topics that ended up getting cut. The nut I was most sad to leave out is the one I'm covering today, the cashew. And later this month, you can look forward to also hearing about where we get pistachios and macadamia nuts. I think the topic variability this time around has a nice widespread. But there is something consistent with the first miniseries that I want to address right away. Are any of these true nuts? In a botanical sense, no, these are not true nut trees. In the strictest definition, true nut fruits are things like acorns and chestnuts. Rather, we are going to talk about accessory fruits, droops, and follicles. But don't think about taking this knowledge and getting all pretentious about labels in the snack aisle of the grocery store. There is such a thing as the same word having a different meaning, depending on whether you're viewing a product as a plant or a food. So, these are still nut trees. They're the trees from which we harvest snack nuts. And that will be the only time I'm getting messy with those definitions in this miniseries, though I'll probably still include brief refreshers. It's time to get started with my personal favorite nut, the cashew. Cashews are so delicious, and I love them both as a snack and for cooking since I make a lot of South Asian-inspired curries at home. But why do they have to be so much more expensive than other nuts? Turns out, the trees that cashews come from have some wild biological features that may offer an explanation, but the production of these nuts might just turn you off of them entirely. To find our cashew tree in the wild, we must journey to the tropical savannas and forests of Brazil. We're looking for a medium-sized tree with a spreading, umbrella-shaped canopy, no taller than 45 feet or 13 meters. And apparently, it's very unattractive, according to one of my sources. Typically, when I find articles that describe the physical appearance of my topic trees, there are very straightforward numbers and descriptors. You know, something dry along the lines of foliage spreads in a radius of 8 meters, evergreen, perennial, yada yada yada. But then this article I have up goes on to say, Crooked branches, very irregular crown, unattractive appearance. Ouch. 
Putting that judgment aside, yes, this is an evergreen tree. The leaves are broad, dark green, and leathery, which is normal in tropical forests that don't see the kind of seasons that rotate through North America and Eurasia. I bet their October isn't as nice. Not important. When it comes to the cashew tree, the most important and complex idea for us to wrap our heads around is the reproduction of these trees. Reproduction in biology is always complex, but it's obviously so important here because it's how we get cashews. It's also just really neat. It starts with the cashew flowers, teeny tiny and born in dense clusters. Their color ranges from a hard-to-notice shade of green to creamy white with stripes of bright red or pink along its five petals. And these trees make tons of flowers. Individual clusters will produce hundreds and sometimes over a thousand flowers. I don't even want to think about the math involved to estimate how many flowers cover the entire tree in peak season. Flower anatomy is complicated, and I usually gloss over it in my descriptions. Truth is, that was the chapter of my botany course that I did the worst in. Like I said, reproduction in biology is always complex. But there is some interesting stuff going on in these flowers that I want to dive into. Reproductive aspects of plants are largely regarded as male or female based on what is fertilizing and what is getting fertilized. Sometimes, plants have only male flowers or female flowers, and require multiple individuals to reproduce. Sometimes, male and female flowers are produced on the same individual tree. And sometimes, male and female parts can be found on the same individual flower. There's a lot of variability regarding what this makeup turns out to be. On any given cashew tree, approximately 96% of the flowers produced are male, and 4% are considered either hermaphroditic or bisexual, meaning they have both male and female parts on the same flower. Taking into account that only 4% of those flowers can be fertilized and produce fruits, only 1 out of 10 of those such flowers will end up getting successfully pollinated. Like I said, there's an uncountable number of flowers on these trees, but only 0.4% of these little guys will actually end up as fruit. With success rates like that, it's no wonder so many flowers are made. And while the flowers are visited by flies and ants, the primary mode of pollination is likely to be wind dispersal, just out there casting their fate to a breeze. It works well enough, apparently, because that's how we get the utterly strange creation that is a cashew fruit. Let's take it step by step. The first thing to form is this green kidney bean-shaped structure. This is the fruit of the tree, and the seed within is what we consume as cashew nuts. If only things stopped there, and the world was so simple. Once this is produced, the stem, for some ungodly reason, balloons out into a big, bright, fruit-looking thing that dwarfs the attached green kidney bean thing. This large, colorful structure is referred to as a cashew apple, though in my opinion it looks more like a bell pepper. So hanging off these tree's branches are these bell peppers with a single kidney bean sticking out of the bottom. Or at least, that's what it looks like to me. The cashew apple is a structure that is referred to as an accessory fruit. 
An accessory fruit is just a part of what is otherwise considered the whole fruit, but it's the part of the fruit that has nothing to do with reproduction, so no ovaries or embryos involved. You may also hear them referred to as false fruits, but I use this term sparingly. It's appropriate for the cashew because there is a clear distinction between the parts of the fruit that bear the seed and the parts that just look like fruit. But oftentimes, that distinction is much less identifiable. For example, an apple is an accessory fruit. The true botanical fruit structure is just the cartilaginous apple core. The part of the apple we eat has nothing to do with reproduction, so it's considered just accessory. Again, don't take this information and get weird about it at the grocery store by picking up an apple and telling the poor employees that it doesn't belong in the fruit section because science. If I had a sign to tap, it would just refer back to the distinction of botanical and culinary definitions. Ultimately, what we are looking at with the cashew fruit of bell pepper with a glued-on kidney bean is what would happen if the apple core was just a tumorous lump hanging off the side of the apple itself instead of being hidden away in the middle where it belongs. Just like you and me, the botanist who gave the cashew its scientific name found this feature to be strange and notable. The cashew genus is thus called anacardium, a Greek term meaning either upwards or outside heart, indicating that the heart of the fruit is outside of the fruit itself. The Anacardium genus is home to around 20 plant species, but only one is cultivated for the purpose of producing cashew nuts. Its scientific name is Anacardium occidentale, occidentale meaning of the West because it's from the Western Hemisphere, South America specifically. That Greek term was ultimately used for the name of the overall family it belongs to, Anacardiaceae, the cashew family. It's a great family, and not just because Anacardiaceae is so much fun to say. I've already talked about the mango and the Peruvian pepper tree as members of this family, and my next episode will feature another cousin, the pistachio tree. Although, now that I think about it, great might not be the best descriptor for this group considering how its members tend to bear some amount of toxicity. This is also the family where we get poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. Those plants within the genus Toxicodendron are notorious for causing irritating rashes thanks to a chemical compound known as urichiol. Cashews share some level of toxicity, but not because of that chemical specifically. The shells that encase the cashew seed are oily thanks to a resin called anacardic acid, which is chemically similar to urichiol and causes similar allergic reactions. As you can imagine, this has greatly affected how these nuts have been handled by humans from the distant past to the modern day. Portuguese explorers came across cashews in Brazil in the 1550s, they reasonably assumed that cashews were inedible because of the aforementioned toxicity. 
Thankfully, the indigenous Tupi people had been living there for thousands of years and made sure to teach these ignorant Europeans how to access this delicious snack they almost missed out on. Sources suggest that the Tupi people themselves learned how to access the cashew nut by observing how primates carefully broke open the fruits with rocks, ultimately making the monkeys the smartest beings in this story. But it is thanks to the Tupi people that we have cashews today, and it is from their language that we get the very word cashew. Their name for it was akaju, which potentially means nut, or at least describes a thing in the same way that we would describe a nut. And of course, the Portuguese took that and mispronounced it to the rest of the world. I would love to know how the akaju was perceived in Tupi culture. What did they think about this food being wrapped up in a dangerous bundle? What legends or stories did they associate with this tree? This is the second greatest tragedy of native assimilation, behind, of course, the significant loss of human life. So many stories that will never be told again. The Tupi were largely assimilated into Christian European culture on top of being enslaved. Their greatly diminished populations eventually merged with a completely unrelated indigenous group, the Guarani, so what unfortunately remains of their influence and identity today is just the single word, cashew. The cashew itself also lost its South American identity, for the Portuguese would ultimately set up commercial operations for growing this tree on the other side of the world, in South Asia. As is the case with most crops, commercial growth of the cashew plant is very different from wild growth. So if you were to find where these trees are grown in India today, you would actually see dwarf cashews growing no taller than 20 feet or 6 meters. This height difference, of course, lends to easier harvesting, but the dwarf cashew variety also differs in overall reproduction. Wild cashews don't start producing flowers until they are three years old and don't fruit until eight years of age. But these cultivated dwarf cashews flower after just one year and begin fruiting after age three. The timing of tree reproduction is always less forgiving than non-woody crops, so growers must cut corners wherever they can for the crop to be profitable. But if the plant is so toxic and tricky, how does harvesting the seed work exactly? Harvesting the fruit from the tree is actually relatively simple. It's processing the nut where things get tricky, and I'll go over that here in a little bit. But for the most part, cashew apples just fall from the tree when they are ripe, and workers collect them off the ground. They'll do it by hand or with a sharp stick, or sometimes a vacuum hose, but... Those are expensive and don't really speed up the process. From there, the nut is separated from the apple and is ready to be shelled. These practices have been ongoing in South Asia for over 450 years. This may be a South American tree, but in the course of almost half a millennium, cashews have become a significant aspect of Indian culture. Food is, expectedly, the primary use of the cashew. Just like in the U.S., it makes for a great snack. But cashews can also be ground into a paste and incorporated into gravies and curries. I've started incorporating them into the Indian curries I make at home, and I would say it definitely makes a world of difference. And it's not just the cashew that is used. The apple accessory fruit is non-toxic and consumed as well. You won't find it outside of cashew-growing regions, though, because after being harvested, 
They'll go bad after only a couple days and bruise way too easily. They can be eaten just like you would any other fruit, but they are also made into syrups and jellies. Most commonly, cashew apples are turned into alcohol. When the Portuguese brought the cashew to India in the 1500s, it was initially grown in the Goa region, and that region remains a hotspot for cashew production today. Fast forward to the 1700s and we find some Portuguese monks living in a monastery in Goa suddenly sparked with inspiration and the desperate need for a hobby. They would go on to establish a method of fermenting the fruits and triple distilling a juice until it became an alcoholic beverage called feni. Since then, feni has been designated as a geographically unique product, meaning that your cashew apple spirit can only be called feni if it was made in the Goa region of India, just like how champagne is sparkling white wine produced only in the Champagne region of France. As cashews continued to grow in global popularity, production eventually spread to West Africa and Southeast Asia. But in this process, concerns have been raised over the ethics of cashew production labor. Processing cashews, shelling them, and roasting the seeds is where things get downright dangerous. It is these shells that bear that oily layer of anacardic acid which results in rashes and other painful reactions. And when roasting cashews, toxins found in the raw seed itself are released into the surrounding air. To this day, these operations are still largely performed by hand labor. In many cases, production facilities that employ hand labor for this process are also not willing to pay for protective equipment required to avoid those rashes and reactions. Journalists have begun referring to the nuts produced in this way as blood cashews, hearkening to the cruel conditions found in most diamond mining operations. These blood cashews are by and large processed by entire families, including kids, for incredibly meager wages, hence why the whole family gets involved. One activist group has identified facilities that present as drug addiction treatment centers but in truth operate as labor camps for processing cashews. It is for all intents and purposes slavery. The worst offender of these practices is reportedly the country of Vietnam, who just so happens to be the top exporter of cashews in the world. And as you may expect, the United States is the top importer of Vietnamese cashews. Now, I fully expect that some of you may have already begun tuning me out when I started talking about global capitalist labor ethics instead of fun tree stories. We've got enough doom and gloom being broadcasted around us, and we don't want to feel bad about buying food for our families. I get it. We don't want to know how the hot dog is made. But me personally? I like knowing how the hot dog is made. If you can name any brand of snack nut in the U.S., it's probably Planters, featuring the bespokely dressed Mr. Peanut. That's the only one I could think of, at least. I did some digging, and Planters cashews may be just fine. I didn't know this until I looked more into them, but they're called Planters because of the investment they make in the people who plant and grow their nut crops. The article I found pointed out how they have recently been investing in West African communities to start up sustainable cashew planting operations there. This interview went on to identify that their cashews had thus far primarily come from Brazil and India, 
but did not specify where their products are processed, since there's that distinction between how the crop is harvested versus turned into a consumable product. So the jury is still out on our suave leguminous friend, but I don't get the worst vibes from them. So when you look at a tin of cashews on the shelf and notice they're more expensive per unit than all the other nuts, it's probably because producers shelled out the extra buck to either mechanize the processing or at least provide productive processing equipment. So that's a product you probably don't want to pay bottom dollar for. I've gone into ethics certifications like Fairtrade before with chocolate and coffee. Same story here. In recent years, though, cashew import numbers have been dropping. And that's due in large part to the COVID pandemic and resulting increased prices of commodities since then. Consumers have notably shifted in their purchasing practices to cut out non-essential goods, and cashews have long been considered a luxury item because of the noticeably higher cost. I still buy cashews, though. They are my favorite nut. They taste the best, and they're more versatile in the kitchen than any other nut. Despite the falling import rates and movement away from expensive stuff, other folks are still buying cashew products in large amounts as well. I say cashew products because they've hit it big in the past decade with growing trends toward veganism. Their creamy texture works wonders in regards to substituting for dairy products. And when it comes to those substitutes, texture is huge. You can find a bunch of different things that replicate the taste of milk or cheese or meats, Modern food science is incredible, and there's some insanely impressive stuff coming out of kitchen labs. Texture is a lot harder, though. I actually don't eat hot dogs, but I also don't eat veggie dogs because I think the texture is still not quite there. And while you can't expect cashews to taste like cheese, I think you might be surprised by how vegan cashew-based mac and cheese still nails that creamy texture that you expect. More than anything, though, I want to try some of that cashew apple fenny. It is imported to the United States, but according to Google, there aren't any liquor stores in my area that stock it. So it looks like I'll be heading out to Goa at some point. Go splurge on some cashews this weekend, because this is a product whose botanical origins I think really elevates the enjoyment of consumption. As always, be sure not to only thank the tree it comes from, but also the people who deliver it from the tree to our snack bowls. Today, I'm excited to give a huge shout-out to my newest patron, Earth Apples. They joined our growing party of tree huggers just in time because the end of September marked the end of the third quarter of the year, meaning their first subscription contributed to my quarterly 20% donation to a nonprofit organization chosen by my patrons. This quarter, we chose to help out Neighborhood Forests, a group working towards connecting school kids in America with tree plantings in their neighborhoods. And right now on my Patreon, we're voting to decide who we support next. If you'd like to help us make a difference, check out patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees and consider subscribing at the Tree Huggers tier so you get a shout-out like Earth Apples, which I'm assuming is a reference to potatoes. In two weeks, we'll be back for part two of this miniseries, and the upcoming topics will not stray so darkly. Although, I do feature the Iran hostage crisis from the 1970s. Yes, it is from across the world in Western Asia that we get another cashew family member, 
the pistachio. And on October 17th, we'll learn how humans have also avoided the toxicity of this desert tree and revisit the U.S. agricultural explorers who gave California yet another crop to dominate production for. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. You can support me directly by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees or donate directly to a sustainable organization like the ones found on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. Hug.